Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is Mario and Luigi's Super Seth Saga. And my name is Mystical Eric, starring Goemon. And welcome to All In's Salute to Animation. Right you are, my friend. We just really feel like the art of animation is going severely underappreciated this year. And we have set out this week to right that wrong. First up in the Indie Showcase, we're talking about the beautifully rotoscoped neo-noir thriller Lunark from Canary Games. I can't believe how many people slept on that one. Well, we're about to wake everyone up. But speaking of underappreciated, there's actually multiple animated movies in theaters right now, including Disney Pixar's newest, and neither are making much of a splash for some reason. It got us thinking about some unsung Disney games. So today in the top five, we are counting down our picks for the most underappreciated Disney games ever. And speaking of Disney, there's actually a very high-profile Disney game coming later this month with Mickey's Illusion Island. And it looks like it could be something special, but it has a high bar to clear if it wants to reach elite Disney game status, like a certain title whose remaster is just about to celebrate its 10th anniversary. This week in the All End Retrospective, we're talking the all-time classic DuckTales. DuckTales, woohoo, indeed, my friend. But sit back grab some popcorn, and enjoy our Salute to Animation feature presentation. It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of All In Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned, no point is left unearned. I hope everybody picked up the Casey Kasem we were putting down a little bit <laughs> in that intro, Eric. I hope that wasn't too, I hope that we weren't too, too old heads over here uh, making that reference. <laughs> making that. Dude, I love Casey. Dude, I miss Casey Kasem so much. I really do. Y'all young people, you do not know what it was like to count down the American Top 40 every week with the Number smoothest five. with the smoothest <laughs> voice in radio history. But speaking of icons, Seth, speaking of icons, we actually have some people we'd like to send out some long-distance dedications to. <laughs> That's right. We need to send out some long-distance dedications to our patrons. Yes. At patreon.com slash allinpodcast. <laughs> just, like, you, I just, I, I just hear his voice in my head. Like, it's just something about it, man. That kind of, yeah, that Turner Classic Movies, like, that just sort of... AMC, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. There's just something about it. But yes, of course, the icons uh, dedicated... Uh, here, patreon.com slash all in podcast. Thanks to everybody who supports us over there. A ton of friends and supporters over there uh, that we need to thank. Every week, we shout out our Golden Banana and Triforce tier patrons. So let's get into it. Starting with our Gold Banana bunch, Rob Gapel, Third Strongest Mole, Sean, Sean O. Baggins, Ashton, Tim A., aka Neo Prime 33, aka Nintendo Dad number four, Matt Shy Guy City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D., Bowza, Gamer Jason, and Andrew wilkins so big thanks to our golden banana bunch moving into our triforce tier 
We need to thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday, John Datfast Cummins of the Retrologic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast, the globetrotting, jet-setting Nintendo hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub on YouTube. Thank you, Sparky. Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove podcast, which is gearing up for its third season. Shoutouts yes. to Retro Groove. Uh, he's also Octorock1982 on YouTube. Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy mod squad. Thank you, Shy Guy. Danielina Hosa, Dan and Luma, Solo Something, and the legend himself. The man who I'm sure has the voice of an angel and could have done radio if he wanted to, Uncle Randy. Uncle Randy. I don't know if Uncle Randy's ever done. He, we, we did a, I did an interview with Uncle Randy on the $2 yes. Hero cast. Yeah. But that might have been his only like semblance of ever being on radio or anything like that. <laughs> so. Well, Uncle Randy is aware that, you know, the fewer times he appears, the more special it is. He doesn't want to overexpose himself. That's true. To the folks. Doesn't want to overexpose himself. That's true. Got to keep it. Got to keep it special. So, uh, big, big thanks to our to our patrons uh, who who show their love and support to us and uh, throw a few bones our way for our hard work. We appreciate y'all. You can actually try out the Patreon. You can go to the Golden Banana tier and try it out entirely for free. That's our middle tier. That's our five dollar tier. You can get a seven day free trial, which gets you access to two exclusive weekly podcasts. You can get shouted out with the rest of our Golden Banana bunch on our shows early access to stuff like keep Nintendo weird voting rights on stuff like all inside quest and a whole lot more. Our Triforce tier supporters also get discounts on our merch at bit.ly slash all in merch. So uh, lots of stuff going on on Patreon. You can also uh, support us for free by dropping some words, by leaving five-star reviews on Apple podcast, Podchaser, and audible. Uh, you can also leave a five-star anonymous rating on Spotify. And that's a very easy way and free, uh, free way to support the show and kind of helps us climb the ranks and get this little uh, Nintendo podcast in front of the people that need to hear it. Yeah. So that's very appreciated as well. Um, no new reviews to shout out this week, but uh, that just means you'll need to get on it. Just get on it. If yeah. you haven't done it yet, do it. <laughs> you know? It's like, Easy. Well, well, we understand you guys were preoccupied with the holiday this week. We, we get it. We get it. But that's over now. Give you a pass. Yeah. We get, yeah. get on it now. Give you a pass for oh, this week, but next week we need some reviews for sure. Uh, all right. But with all that being said, sir, what has been going on in your world this week? Oh, well, it's certainly been an interesting one. Obviously, July 4th. Happy Independence Day, my friend. Um, America. Yeah, America indeed. Uh, so I've been, it's, it's been kind of nuts. There's been a lot of moving pieces uh, in my life, uh, especially on the family side, some uh, so this is a little bit of bad juju going on. I won't really get into it. This isn't really the place, but uh, uh, just, you know, trying to take care of people essentially that need, you know, taken care of now. Uh, but more than happy to, to do that for the people that I love. But in regards to, you know, the fun stuff that we get to talk about here with our friends and, and, and fans each and every week, I did... Uh, do a couple things. I did delve into that Power Wash Simulator SpongeBob DLC a little nice. bit. Uh, went and cleaned up Conk Street, Squidward's house, and SpongeBob's house. Is that what it's called? And, yeah, apparently. I had no that's, idea. Okay, that, that's what it's called in Power Wash Simulator, at least. So Conk Street is where Patrick and Squidward and and SpongeBob they all live. You know, Gary and their little undersea bicycle and and all that stuff so i got to clean up spongebob's house and patrick's rock that he calls a house and uh squidward's little maui statue that he lives in for some reason uh but i they were really cool a lot of the detail centric stuff in the game it's really cool you have uh, an exclusive uh 
new, a brand new power washer. I can't remember, like it's like the 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 underwater four thousand or or something like that. But it's specifically a brand new power washer for this DLC, and it looks fantastic. The whole like the, the whole thing looks looks absolutely great the next one i get to do is the crusty crab and honestly the only reason i haven't done that is because i'm trying to coerce my co-host into joining me online for us to do that again <laughs> uh, yeah i gotta do it at some point yeah we do gotta do it at some point but yeah i'm having i'm having a lot of fun with it it was a little weird to download because the power wash simulator so if, if you're wanting to download the dlc you can go to the eShop directly from the game. But weirdly, when you go to the Power Wash Simulator eShop page directly from within the game, the, the two free DLCs are listed underneath the game. But for some reason, the SpongeBob DLC, as of this recording, isn't listed under the game's page. It is listed as a separate entry in the eShop. So just going okay. into the eShop from the in-game menu, you won't be able to see it. You'll actually have to go into the eShop raw and search for the power wash simulator uh, stuff, but you can get it like that. It's just, it's weird that <laughs> the game gives you a way to go to the eShop from within the game, but doesn't have that listed on the page. That's that it weird. Yeah. yeah. It is. Is really it like, bizarre. is it really, is it really big? Is it like notably bigger than the other ones or something? Oh no, 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 not at hmm. all. Uh, it is, I think it's around five, six, maybe seven stages. It's a decent, you know, it'll take you several hours. I mean, power wash stages are not known for their briefness. Uh, yeah. But, uh, like in terms of the, the size of the DLC, nuts, no, not any bigger than the, the tomb Raider or the Midgard. Oh, pack paid? Before it. Yes. That's yeah. why. Yeah. yeah Cause it's, it's seven ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, still paid DLC shows up under other games on their main yeah. pages. So I just, I thought it was weird that that one isn't under, but regardless, that's neither here nor there. Just add, just be aware that if you want access to that, as of this recording, the SpongeBob DLC isn't currently listed on the main page for power wash simulator. It is listed as its own thing. So it's still there. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, I was kind of flabbergasted when I tried to download it from within the game, but, but it is there. But yeah, I mean it's it's more power wash simulator stuff, but it is SpongeBob like you're you're in the SpongeBob world, so visually it is it is a quite different aesthetic to get used to, considering that most of what you're dealing with is pretty well approaching photorealism in in power wash simulator. So jumping directly in to a Nickelodeon cartoon is really bizarre and really weird, but it's still the the incredibly somehow satisfying power wash simulator that uh that seth and i have grown to love this year so that i've done a little bit of that uh i did also go back to a game that i had to put on the shelf for about a month and a half because of a little thing called tears of the kingdom i started the first Mega Man battle network game i have the Mega Man battle uh, battle network legacy collection and I, I'd never really been able to to play those games. And I was really excited to finally get the chance to check them out. And by the time I got to start playing, it was only a few days before Zelda came out. I tried to get through the first one before it came out. I wasn't able to, so I had to put it on the shelf. But I was dedicated to it. So I went ahead. 
I went back this week, and even though I still haven't beaten it yet, I did play through quite a bit more of that this past week. And, oh, man. Okay. Um, <laughs> I saw I saw some tweets to this effect. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm just going to throw this out there. I really like the core battle system, the main gameplay system in Mega Man Battle Network. I really like it. The, the the characters, I think, have a lot of personality. The animations are fun and cartoony. You know, for a Game Boy Advance, considering that Saturday morning cartoon vibe that they're going for, I think from a visual standpoint, the game honestly couldn't really look much better. I, I, I dig the episodic structure. It actually feels like you're playing through a, a shortened season of a Saturday morning cartoon. There's a lot about the game that I really genuinely like. And then we get to the dungeon design. And it is it genuinely among the worst I've ever seen. And I hate to say that, but especially the last one that I just did, which was the elect man stage. I've, I've honestly, for most of this week, I've been trying to think if I've played, if I can remember a worse like stage level dungeon area, a worse designed version that I've played through. And I honestly don't think I can. Uh, so as much as I like a lot of other aspects of the game, it's genuinely so bad. I would almost recommend skipping the game. If you wanted to play the other games in the collection, I still am excited to finish the game. I'm still excited to check out the other ones in the collection, but it was maddening. I was screaming at my television. It was bad. Uh, but just, you know, the TLDR, the Cliff's Notes version of it is a very long labyrinth of invisible floors with interconnecting pathways, multi-level, multi-tier, isometric interconnecting pathways. At any given time, you can't even tell if you're on the top level or the bottom level. Oftentimes, you can't even tell if you're moving between them. You're constantly, constantly getting into random encounters. And uh, there are multiple puzzles that really aren't even a case of solving them. It's literally just, you know, trial and error to find out which slot makes the battery work. And it's just, you know, you run for five seconds. It's like, oh, I ran into one of this labyrinth's one billion dead ends. Cool. I, you know, here's a couple more random encounters. It just, and the worst part is all of this is timed. The entire dungeon is timed. It is on a timer, which means that the first time you play it, you have no clue how long it is. Be, uh, and you know, this is not something that keeps like 17 auto saves in the back pocket. So if you were to save deep into the dungeon, not realize how long it is, and your time limit elapsed, if you accidentally saved it in a place that didn't really give you enough time to finish the dungeon, you could effectively soft lock yourself. So... I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to take the chance because I didn't know how long it was. So I wound up having to play the dungeon like five separate times 
because if you die in Mega Man Battle Network, you go right back to like there's and there's like, hey, game over. Here's the title screen. Where was your last save? Oh, it was two hours ago. Sorry about your luck. So <laughs> not wanting to save because I didn't want to risk saving too deep in with not enough time left to actually beat the dungeon. Kind of like, oh my God, it's like just, it's so many bad decisions layered on top of each other. I genuinely couldn't believe that this, that, that this was signed off on by Capcom designers and play testers. But woof. I'm sorry. I, I, if that sounded like a rant, I understand. But woof, that was that was the. I need help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I've heard that from multiple people now, and a lot of people are like telling me, like, "Yeah, you just don't need to play Battle Network One. Like, you're kind of good." You don't really need to play it. One of our mods <laughs> a while back actually rage quit the game, like just finished, just swore off the game. And I beat that. And he was like, yeah, that was, that was the dungeon that made me stop playing the game. I was like, yeah, I completely understand. I really do. But I, I, I pushed through it. I beat it. I'm out the other side and hopefully I'm getting close to the end. Cause I do want to see what else the, the series has to offer. Because again, like I've said, most of the rest of the stuff in the game, I genuinely like. I, I think is genuinely really good. Not like the greatest ever, but the battle system, the characters, the designs, I think are all very, very strong. But the first Mega Man Battle Network is a very, for my experience, it's just, it's such an interesting game because one aspect of the game is weighing the experience down so heavily that it's making an otherwise really good experience genuinely almost unplayable. And it's just so weird to see a game with so many other very strong aspects be anchored so completely by just one part of the game's design. It's a really interesting study from that regard at the very least. But, uh, but yeah, so I also did that this week. In addition to... Uh, a couple other things. I still, oh God, it just makes me so happy to have Mortal Kombat back in my life. I've been playing so much Mortal Kombat 11, you guys, on the Nintendo Switch. Sure, it's a substantially subpar version compared to like the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, but like it's it's still Mortal Kombat. It still plays really well. It's content complete. It's ridiculously content heavy, and it just it. It has been my happy place for about the past month since Tears of the Kingdom, since I rolled credits on Tears of the Kingdom. MK11 has been my happy place and very, very excited to see more combat casts from Mortal Kombat in the future. We got the Johnny Cage and Scorpion combat cast a couple days ago. Uh, obviously, really, really excited to see more from that. And of course, you're probably going to be hearing more from your boy Eric in that regard in the future. But I've also been playing AEW Fight Forever. Obviously, we did the review last week on the show. If you want to, go ahead and check that out. If you're a big wrestling nut like me, if you're a big, a big mark like I am, go ahead and check out that review. I had a lot to say about AEW Fight Forever, but I hope it says a little bit about my opinion of the game that I've been playing it even more in the intervening days. Uh, but yes, Power Wash Simulator, uh, Mega Man Battle Network, 
AEW, Mortal Kombat 11, a couple other small things, but I think that's a pretty good summation of my video gaming over the past week. What about you, my friend? Nice. I'll I'll be quick. I mean, I I do want to quickly circle back to Pikmin 4. Um, cause the, the Pikmin four demo last week when we recorded the show, I hadn't played that much of it. Um, I hadn't had a chance to actually play through the entire thing. I basically just did like the tutorial, um, yeah. and gave like some initial impression, uh, impressions of it then, but to circle back to it now that I've played the, the whole thing, um, man, I really love this demo and just in a few hours of playing the Pikmin four demo, like it's kind of like already my favorite Pikmin game. <laughs> like it didn't really take long for me to just connect to this one more than I've connected to Pikmin games in the past. And I think it's for a few reasons. I think that like the, the, the sort of story setup of it is at least somewhat interesting. I don't expect it to really go to too many interesting places. This, you know, Nintendo games don't typically have, you know, some weaving plot. I don't expect Olimar to, you know, actually be some sort of weird zombie or something, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. Um, but I also think that like having my own player created character that I'm playing as helps with it. Uh, I think that that gives me a little bit more connection to the world, but more than any of that, uh, I love the way the different systems of that game connect to each other. Whereas previous Pikmin games have kind of had a survival focus. Um, and yeah, it had a focus on collection as well. But I feel like even with Pikmin 3, it was mostly about like, yeah, you're collecting, but you do ultimately still need to find like food and resources and stuff like this. Pikmin 4 does away with a lot of that, um, which for some hardcore Pikmin fans, I could see them sort of being turned off by that. But for me... It's really appealing. For me, I look at that and I'm like, that that makes it not only less stressful, but it makes it like more um just just more appealing from like that collection element. Like I like how you're collecting treasures that give you sparklium to go to other areas and collect more treasures and get more sparklium. That's all great. At the same time, you're also rescuing people, which helps you upgrade Ochi. You're going into the caves and like coming like, like the time passes more slowly in the caves. So you can kind of really get into the weeds and even like quality of life stuff. Like if you make a mistake, you can rewind time by like two minutes. You know, it's little things like that that I think are really strengthening uh, the Pikmin formula for me. And again, I know hardcore Pikmin fans are probably like whatever, but you also don't have to engage with a lot of that stuff. It's optional. Um, so I don't know. I was really impressed by the Pikmin 4 demo, TLDR. Uh, nice. It was good. I liked it a lot. I I, I went from being like kind of, uh, kind of tangentially excited, like I was going to play it, I, I've liked all the Pikmin games. I've never loved any of the Pikmin games, but just with this little like three hours that I spend playing the demo, um, I was like, wow, I am like genuinely really excited to play this one now. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really into it. I'll say the demo's way too chatty, like way too handholdy. They, uh, <laughs> they, they like just won't. I mean, like there are parts in the, in the like first, I don't know, hour or so 
of the game where like you're legit like walking a few steps and the game's constantly stopping you to tell you kind of what to do. It is like way too much. But once the game kind of like lets you loose, uh, it really kind of just, you know, feels right, clicks immediately. Even like just the camera perspective of this one, like that's a simple change. But like even that like just feels way better to me. I don't know. I like it a lot. It's good. Excited. Well, it comes out in just a couple of weeks. Comes out July twenty first. We're going to be talking a lot about animation and Disney and all that stuff today. Disney's Illusion Island also comes out July twenty eighth. But Pikmin four for most people is is definitely the marquee July. uh, Definitely the marquee July release, and we'll be talking about that much more in the coming weeks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, also, been playing a lot of Ghost Trick. Obviously, uh, you obviously, know, yep. There's not a lot really to say other than like everything that I've been saying. Like, it's one of my favorite games. It's a great port. They did a great job with it. Uh, I will say there's a there's a weird little bug for anybody who played the uh, the demo of the game. Um, I would maybe recommend actually not importing your demo save if you're somebody who played the demo and was planning on doing that. Um, There's a strange bug where you don't get your chapter one and two unlocks because every time you complete a chapter, the game gives you music and illustrations in like the in-game gallery. Um, And yeah, it doesn't carry over your chapter one and two unlocks whenever you import your demo save, which is kind of annoying. I imagine that's just, maybe they'll patch that or something, but even still, there's chapters select in the game, so it's pretty easy to go in and do those real quick if you need to. Uh, but yeah, that that was, you know, other than that, though, it's been, it's been great. It's just great to have it, you know, on Switch. Uh, great game, and I hope more people play it. Um... I'll, I'll shout out really quickly to this game that I just started playing yesterday. Uh, this was actually a call out from uh, Delroy, friend and community member Delroy. Uh, shout out this game, Little Noah Scion of Paradise. Um, yeah. Which is one that like I've been aware of, but I didn't really know too much about. Um, and he was shouting it out. He's like, yeah, this game's really cool. I just played through it breezy kind of game it's a it's a cool like sort of roguelike experience um and it it was half off on the eShop. so i said all right you know whatever i'll try it out uh i trust him and his opinion so i'm like i'll you know i'll try this out um and it is a really cool like yeah roguelike 2d combat side scrolling sort of thing um the sort of like loop of it is you're trying to repair your ship and get like passive upgrades that come with repairing your ship between runs. Um, but it kind of is like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a 2d combat heavy sort of thing. It's, uh, you're, you're not actually physically attacking. You have these little, they're called like Lily or like Liddy pups or something like that. Or (laughs) like these little, like these, these little avatars basically you are collecting these little, like, like kind of Pokemon esque, you know, things that you pick up throughout the course of your run and you kind of create like a loadout of them and you can have up to like four or five of them in your, uh, in your attack chain and they all have different attacks. And rather than uh, Noah attacking herself, it is those things going out and attacking for her. So there's interesting yeah. strategy. Like there might be some that have ranged, you know, abilities. There might be some that have, you know, sort of like uh, crowd control abilities. So you kind of have to plot out kind of what your combo looks like. And, um, 
it's it's cool. It's it's a neat little game. I will say, uh, Shy Guy was kind of we were talking about this game in the in the indie chat channel in our Discord, and Shy Guy was like, "Yeah, I played it too. I thought it was really cool too, but it, it felt like it kind of chugged a little bit on Switch." And there is a little bit of that. It's the kind of game that like you really wish was running at sixty frames. You know, like yeah, you're you're like you play it and you're like, man, like I wish this felt like really fast and snappy in sixty frames. It kind of doesn't. It doesn't run badly at all, but it definitely has a little bit of like framiness to it. Um, but it's good. I, I'm I'm having a great time with it. And like I said, it was half off. Nice. It was it was seven fifty. You know. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, that's, that's less than you pay for a coffee at Starbucks. Like I'll, you know, I'll play that. <laughs> so that's been kind of cool. Yeah. Apparently uh, speaking of, you know, games that our mods are talking about in the discord, apparently I need to play soul bubble. From Toys <laughs> R Us. Yeah. Soul soul bubble came up, um, after our DS chat, uh, last week on the show. And, uh, yeah, I haven't thought about that game in a really long time. It's not that expensive either on the aftermarket. I might need to, there's a couple little DS games I might need to grab. Um, yeah. So yeah, little Noah, Scion of Paradise, Ghost Trick, Pikmin 4 demo. That's kind of what's been going on, uh, in my world in terms of Nintendo games. Um, but Eric, we need to talk, you know, we have this sort of animation theme, uh, around this episode and there's a game that I have wanted to talk about more deeply for a long time here on the show. A game that has some gorgeous rotoscoped animation techniques kind of throwing back to the old like cinematic platformers like Prince of Persia and Flashback and stuff. Um, a game that our friends at WayForward actually gave us access to. So big shout outs to them when the game came out earlier this year. And it's one that's really stuck with me. Uh, over the course of the year, man, it really has, uh, this game Lunark, um, that I feel like a lot of people have kind of slept on, not really talked about. I feel like people have kind of like dipped out on this game and I thought, you know, here we are, we're talking about animation. It felt like the perfect time to give Lunark its very own all in indie showcase. Yes, Seth. And if, uh, for just one second, if I could sound like a C minus, college essay Webster's dictionary defines rotoscoping as a technique in which animators trace live action movement frame by frame. So when we talk about rotoscoping animation, we're talking about uh, whatever type of animation you want to use, whether it be CGI, whether it be hand drawn or whether it even be pixel art, we're talking about taking uh, live action stills or live action footage and basically superimposing directly over those images to give the sense of, you know, more natural, realistic, real world movement. It gives this real uncanny kind of sense of motion to a lot of what's going on in uh, in the film or in the game. Disney's used this to great effect in many of their films over the years. They've used it as early as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, I think, you know, when I think rotoscoping in Disney, I think of stuff like Black Cauldron. They used it a ton for Black Cauldron, but they're certainly not the only ones, uh, you know, <laughs> don't watch this one, kids, but uh, Heavy Metal also uh, used it quite a lot. It's always been a really striking animation style hasn't really been used a lot recently cgi and computer computer generated 
uh, images have just been kind of just too easy to do. But the people at Canary Games have set out to prove to us just how beautiful the art of rotoscoping really can be with Lunark. Lunark is is a really like it's a callback. It's it's a it's a it's a throwback to a genre that has been completely lost to time. Yeah. Um, and that that's something that was really like striking to me when I played it. And I talked about this game on the show when it first came out. Um, and like it was it was kind of like striking to me immediately how like yeah they don't make them like this anymore. Um, and these these cinematic platformers that are very like precise and require you to sort of speak their language. And I really like when a game kind of doesn't make concessions for the player in that way. Like when when the game is just like about, hey, like this is what this is, figure it out or don't, but like this is what this is. Like it is so exactly its own vision. And um, in that way, like in taking something like these these games kind of plucked out of the 80s and 90s like prince of persia flashback another world stuff like this like in in taking that and putting it into the modern age with like a sprinkling of modern convenience not too much um (laughs) no (laughs) this this game really understands the assignment in that way and man like it's just kind of wormed its way into, into my brain it came out in late march and I haven't really stopped thinking about it ever since. It's really stuck with me. But yeah, Lunark tells the story of a young boy named Leo. It's uh, not set on Earth. It's set on a planet Albarain or something like that. But uh, weird, because the moon, they specifically say in the beginning of the game, the moon they call Lunark used to be Earth's moon. Mm-hmm. And the setting of the game you know, very similarly to the games of the 1980s that uh, Lunark is clearly trying to emulate. The setting, I think, is kind of immediately recognizable as something kind of like Blade Runner, uh, very cyberpunk and neo-noir in a lot of these dirty, grimy, but also neon-soaked ways. I also, maybe it was just the fact that I watched uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade recently, but I got some some Indiana Jones vibes as well. Maybe it's just the Harrison Ford connective tissue. I don't know, but uh, this is kind of what you're coming in. The game starts and Leo appears at this robot droid factory and winds up getting a mission from his mentor, Gideon. And he wants him to go pick up an artifact. And that's where everything just immediately starts coming uh, apart he goes uh, goes on this mission collects the artifact and then everything just starts kind of falling apart around him yeah like in the in the kind of like story setup of the game it's like hey um it's implied that like earth you know kind of went to crap like it kind of is <laughs> in real life and it's like hey where it's not sustainable for us to live here anymore and we need to too unbelievable get out. too unbelievable yeah, too, yeah. Can't yeah, it doesn't work. Um, and so they ended up basically turning the moon into like a 
a moon base, but also like spaceship called called Lunark, and they wind up on this other planet, and they have now been here for several hundred years, and that's kind of where the game picks up. The game kind of throws you into uh, into this plot, and it doesn't take long for things to uh, to kind of go crazy and to get involved into something like clearly much bigger. Um, and the game's story is is I think with these games, I think story is certainly a strength of them, and I think what this game does really well with its with its story is not even necessarily characters but like that sense of world building that sense of place uh the game does that really really well there are a couple of like moments and this is strengthened by the game's like art and and music and stuff but there there's a a real sense of place in lunark that i think the game absolutely nails even if the story itself doesn't go to too many like unexpected areas. It's kind of classic in that way. Like it feels like a classic, you know, you make the Indiana Jones kind of comparison. Like it feels like a pulpy sort of thing. Yeah. And that, uh, that also transfers to kind of the visual style because moment to moment, the game is like really chunky pixels. Yeah. Uh, like you have a face. The face is just three pixels, two, you know, slightly tan pixels, and then one just slightly more tan pixel. That's kind of reminiscent of uh, a game we did a while back called Oliha in terms bit. of its moment to moment visual style. But this is just another way the game is throwing back. It's This is not the 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 super detailed, the ultra detailed type of pixel art. You're going to get in something like Owlboy. This is very deliberate in terms of the way it looks. The even the character models are supposed to be throwbacks and reminiscent to those, you know, the 1980s, the Prince of Persia's, the other worlds, the games that we've already spoken about. But still, uh, because of the bright colors, because of the color palette that you can utilize on the Nintendo Switch, everything still feels very vibrant. And because of the uh, because of how well the the motion is animated in the game, everything everything still feels really cohesive, and there's a lot of personality behind even something like grabbing onto a ledge. Just that little bit of extra sway back and forth as you're you know climbing up walls or as you're you know dropping down from platforms. Just the extra little animation to give the the characters that added little sense of not necessarily realism, but you know, this a sense of grounding. Yeah, there, there's a definite weight to everything. There's a consideration that needs to be paid to everything when you're playing this game, and I really appreciate that about it. And while, like, yeah, the character models are kind of simplistic, um, there are, you know, like, the game's got, like, boss fights, and those mm-hmm. are big, like, kind of more detailed, like, uh, sprite work that are really pretty and cool looking. They really stand out compared to everything else. Um in addition to that, there are character portraits that I really like. Whenever you're talking to characters, you'll sort of like see their face, you know, come up next to their dialogue. And this is a really simple thing, but like the fact that the character portraits are not static is really effective. Like you'll you'll see the character portraits like blink, you know, and like just something about that, like a very simple little decision, like having them, like it just adds a extra layer of believability to to the characters that you're talking to even if 
Like, I think the dialogue is maybe the weakest single component of this game. I don't think the dialogue is very strong. Um, I, I like the, the overarching story a lot. It's pulpy and stuff like that. But the actual writing itself, I think, is kind of so-so. Um, but the amount of, like, personality in the character portraits and in the characters themselves, I think, shines through a lot. And, yeah, we talked about rotoscoping. Like, the game will pretty frequently go to fully rotoscoped cutscenes if it's little things like picking up something in the world to solve a puzzle or get a collectible um, or if it's like a straight up story moment these gorgeously animated rotoscoped cutscenes that just feel so unlike anything that's happening in games today yeah even though a lot of the times it cuts away for only a few seconds just i I love the perspective and the extra layer of, of animation depth that the rotoscoping effect really gives you. And one of my favorite things about Lunark was the developers throughout the, uh, throughout the development process were actually sharing a lot of the different uh, like source materials and images and little videos that they were using to create the rotoscoped videos from uh, what I mean by that is they'd share a, a little you know iPhone video of one of them standing on top or sitting on top of their refrigerator uh doing some seemingly random motion but then side by side they would show that superimposed and how it translated into the game and just I love seeing a lot of the the behind the scenes development stuff like that with some things it can kind of break the um, uh, the immersive experience but it was so so cool to be able to see how they took Again, just weird, seemingly random moments and movements and how they translate and how they fit it into their vision of the game. It was so, so cool to see that side by side and to see the art behind the artist. Yeah, no, I, I love it. The, the primary, like the, the lead developer of the of the game, the director is, I believe his name is Johan Vinay. Um, and he made, you know, the, the bulk of it, um, there, there are other like programmers and stuff, but he directed it. He's the lead composer of the game as mm -hmm. well. Um, and, and very much like he, he's been posting a lot of cool stuff about the development of the game, yeah. uh, on, on Twitter. That's been really cool to see. And, and yeah, like, I think there's just an impressive, like bit of, of world building here with, with everything that they've got going on. And even like the, it's also one of those things where like, it's, <laughs> it's sort of couched as like this, um, you know, it's, it's a unique, like original world, but it's also kind of like. Um, you, you can tell that what, what he's doing here is almost yeah. like a sci-fi, like retelling of Noah's Ark essentially is what it is. <laughs> and like, that's really cool. And that's a unique, I, I always love it when people can take something and kind of like twist it a little bit and make it its own thing. Um, and you know, they, they, they get a lot of like cool use out of that and they, they integrate things like alien species and like these sort of blade runner, like neo noir cities and stuff like this. And, um, and yeah, like he, he's the composer too. the, the game's music is pretty like it, there, there's nothing like crazy going on here, but I will say that like the little bits of music that this game does put in 
is really effective. I love that little thing that plays every time you pick up something. Yeah. And it's that just little like, do, 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 do. <laughs> like, I just, I just love that. Like I like it just it's so satisfying. And when it does that, it goes into like a rotoscope cutscene where Leo's hand just kind of like reaches out and like interacts with something. And um, that stuff just punctuates moments like that really, really well. I love that. Well, I, I'm a big fan of just the music of the game in general because it's, I guess like cyber spy might be the best way to put it because the the music honestly wouldn't feel out of place in a Spielberg-esque adventure movie, you know, to go back yeah. to my Indiana Jones thing here. Uh, but I, I think it really wonderfully sets the stage for an adventure, but also at the same time, there's intrigue involved. Also at the same time, it's a thriller and, you know, me not being somebody who really knows how to put music together. It, it is incredibly impressive for, for a lay person like me to see somebody who can create a piece of music that can actually evoke all of those different disparate pieces of the game. And, you know, all these seemingly different ideas and feelings you know, because adventure and thriller and, and, you know, intrigue and spy and, uh, you know, explosion stuff, they don't always really go hand in hand, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's something like even the stealth music feels like it'd be good for both stealth and for action scenes. Like, how do you even do that? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's impressive stuff. And, and the game in general, like you talk about, yeah, like feelings and, and vibes and stuff like that's what the game's all about. Like the, the game is a love letter to, to this, this game understands and wears its inspirations very far down its sleeve. Like it knows exactly what it's about and it is here to call back. If you have any sort of nostalgia for these types of games, if you have been looking for a game like this, like Lunark is is made for you. And for me, like I actually didn't even realize how much nostalgia I had for games like these until playing it. I was like, Oh, right. Like I miss this. Like I miss this really sort of like considered, you know, we talked about, um, Prince of Persia, the sands of time, like recently on the show mm -hmm. and, uh, talked about, you know, Jordan Mechner's like very deliberate, these, these cinematic platformers, the very deliberate sort of style of kind of like room based screen based platformers that are like, cool, I'm entering a room and I'm sort of plotting my way through the room. Um, and this game couples like that sort of very deliberate, uh, kind of slow, measured, considered pacing of platformers like this with really cool scenarios like there's a there's a section early on where you're you're like on a train yeah. which is a cool scenario there is like a prison outbreak like <laughs> section of the game that is a really cool scenario like they just put you in really neat kind of situations uh in this game that that I really really appreciate I will say for a lot of younger gamers the gameplay for this may not hit very well because in many reasons, in gameplay especially, this was made for people who were nostalgic and are nostalgic for 
you know, this era of content for the era of Blade Runner and Another World and, you know, these cinematic platformers that we've been talking about the entire time. Because, like you said, Seth, the, the movement is deliberate. You are not stopping on a dime. You don't have double jumps. You know, you have to... <laughs> I you you really have to know what you're doing and honestly you're probably going to die a lot because movement can be really kind of clunky in games past you may consider that uh, a detriment but it's absolutely by design here because that's how those old games played you know stopping and turning was a very deliberate kind of stop and turn type of motion. It wasn't just a single frame of animation. You know, taking your gun out and shooting it is not just a one frame attack. It is, you know, something that you actually, like the character has to take their gun out and shoot. You know, running, you you can't just press the run button from a ledge and do a running jump. You actually have to get a couple steps. There's a lot of very considered things that a lot of people may be turned off on because of the rigidity of it. But if you've played those old games, it is it is ridiculously impressive how well they've been able to emulate that style of gameplay. And for those who know how to play those types of platformers, you'll be right at home. It is exactly that feeling. It is exactly those old cinematic platformers down to the bone marrow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're running and jumping. You can roll around. Uh, you've got a gun that you can fire. Um, something that's also really important is actually just your like position when you're firing your gun. You have to, like, if you're firing your gun from a standing position versus a crouched position, uh, is very important. Um, when you're taking on a lot of the enemies and a lot of the puzzles in this game are traversal. A lot of it is just, how do I safely get to this area to get this item or achieve this thing or take down this enemy or whatever? And like, that is what, where the challenge of this game lies is actually just playing it. And I really like that. Like you don't see that in video games that much anymore. Now it's easy to just, you know, the, the challenge is just, Oh, like here's like a ton of enemies that you have to fight or whatever. Like the challenge of this is actually just navigation and like the, the act of like climbing and jumping and running. Like it feels more realistic than most games of this type because doing this stuff in real life would not be as simple as just dashing around like you do in Celeste or something like that. It's got like realistic feeling weight to it. And like, I, I don't know, like that clunkiness feels really good to me. And like, that was the thing immediately. I was like, Oh man, like they just don't make them like this anymore. No, they really you know? don't. And playing it actually made me want a remake of the original Prince of Persia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in this type of style because it would be absolutely flawless. But that's honestly the bulk of the the gameplay is uh, kind of the running, the jumping, the traversal. Once you figure out the traversal, you've gotten a lot of it down. You do get a firearm. You do get a gun, which I am glad you aren't constantly required to find ammo for. It is a rechargeable uh, it basically works on a battery that's constantly recharging. So you can fire off a couple shots in quick succession. And a few seconds later, you'll have it fully recharged. You will have to very often consider 
when to fire and how quickly you're firing so that you don't deplete your battery too often or too quickly rather. And because the game knows how clunky and how rigid the controls are, they do help a little bit when it comes to preventing damage. And very quickly within the game, you'll get access to these, uh, these shield cells Right. That you'll be able to activate as long as you're standing still, you'll be able to take a a hit from an enemy of which there are certainly plenty throughout the game. And many of them will surprise you. So, like I said, you're probably going to die a lot, but they do have the shields there. And I will admit there are there are copious amounts of healing items strewn about. You only have three hits, uh, mostly. Uh, but thankfully there's a lot of different healing items. And honestly, I would, I would say the respawn points are a little bit more forgiving than I would have expected from a game like this, considering the legendarily difficult games that it's emulating. So here's something that's interesting about this. Um, Cause yeah, you've got these healing flowers that are pretty plentiful. Like yeah. it's not, you know, it's not too bad. You can also collect shells yep. um, and, and you can upgrade your health that yep. way. Um, by, by the end of it, I think you can wind up getting like seven or eight hearts or something like that um, by the end of the game. But um, you, yeah. So what's interesting is uh, due to the feedback of the game, um, the game's actually been updated with like a quality of life update that added respawn checkpoints to the game um, and actually made a lot of the timing windows for the platforming more forgiving as well. And there's a part of me, so I played the game before that was implemented and there's a part of me that like, I, I kind of understand like the plight when you're looking at it from the developer's standpoint, there are people who just don't get this game, right? Who just don't kind of pick up what this game is putting down. And from that perspective, you want this game to appeal to as many people as possible. At the same time, like when I played it, I was like, man, like this is like, I liked how kind of brutal it was. I liked how precise it was. I liked how sort of uncompromising it was. So there was a part of me that felt like it was a little bit of a bummer when the game was updated, but I, but I do think that post update, the game will be at least more palatable to, to more people, which is a good thing. I would, I would happily play through a hard mode if they wanted to put that classic difficulty back in there. Cause that's all they really had to do was just, uh, you know, add in that, you know, take the, the way the game was and just make that hard mode. Yeah. You could get away with that. Yeah. And I think too, um, you know, it's, it's, the game itself, like the, the core gameplay is still what it is, yeah. which is still, you know, a throwback sort of thing, like adjusting things like, um, like, uh, like hit boxes or, you know, or making like the, the points more forgivable, the ledge grabs and things like this more, more forgiving. Like that's not breaking the game or anything. Um, so you're still going to get a, you know, a pretty decent experience, but yeah, playing it the way that I did, like the original version of the game, I was really happy with, I was like, man, good on this game for like 
not caring like good on this game for just being like yo like this is what we this is what we're doing all right like take it or leave it um so but i still i understand why they did what they did because this game's a tough sell you know and even though it had the backing of a publisher like way forward who did what they could to promote this game it's still a tough sell to make a game like this in the modern age so anything that you can do to make it more palatable to the modern gamer uh i can totally understand why they did it you know I do understand. And, uh, you know, that's why people like us exist is to tell people about it when really well-made games come out. And we do feature a lot of fairly breezy experiences in the indie showcase. Both Seth and I are very big fans of, of cozy style games, but you know, there are some times when, when we do just kind of want a game to serve us our own behind on a silver platter. And this was one of those games where, because it's such a throwback, I was, I was expecting a little bit more bite to it. I died certainly plenty of times just because, uh, you know, I don't want to say of the controls, but because in in a purposefully tighter game, uh, I would have been able to, to do jumps or to uh, move from ledge to ledge. But in the much more rigid confines of this throwback control scheme, uh, I did maybe you know press buttons a little bit too quickly and maybe move the d-pad a little bit closer or a little bit sooner than i should have uh but that you know that's a hundred percent on me but yeah Yeah, it never feels like the game's fault right yeah it never feels like unfair I, I, i would like it to bite back a little bit more so uh devs if you guys are listening if you want to throw that hard mode back in there as an extra optional difficulty I would play it. Yeah. It's interesting too, because, um, I, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to see like some, some sort of update done to the game. And and I don't know if they've, you know, if they're like going to continue patching it or updating it or, or anything like that. But just the fact that they've added that update at all, um, is cool. You know, the, the, the fact that they've done that at all for, for people who, who did sort of like, uh, not vibe with that, I think is neat. So yeah, I would like to see that too. I think though, ultimately this is a, a style of game that, that isn't existent anymore. It's not just like the kind of thing where like, ah, they're not really making like too many of these, like, like it is on an Island of its own. There's nothing (laughs) else like this. And even like they're making flashback Two, even flashback Two, which is coming out on the Nintendo switch later this year. I was watching the the new trailer for that this week. It is not this like flashback Two, is not at all like kind of what you're looking for from an experience like this. This Lunark feels more like flashback Two than flashback Two. (laughs) you know? So and ultimately, I just I do kind of wish the game were a little bit longer. I it, yeah, I felt like I was just really getting into it, and it was you know kind of going into the end game. I don't know how many more cool set pieces or how many cool how many other cool situations they could have created, but I would have happily played through. I would have happily played through another. If I had just gotten to the halfway point when the credits rolled, I would have been more than happy. Yeah, I think most people will get through. Like I, my playthrough of this game was less than five hours. Yeah. Um. And and also, like you know, the game's got a handful of boss fights. I think there's three or four boss fights in the game. <laughs> um. And yeah, they're all minor cool. arachnophobia. 
uh, trigger warning for anybody out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's got a couple of like you know big. The, the game's really good about kind of putting you in these big set piece situations. Like it almost. Yeah feels like there's a lot of like chase sequences there's there's good pacing there's like a good like there's some sort yeah. of stealth sections i love the stealth sections in this game yeah. um and like there's a decent amount of enemy variety um i could have maybe used a little bit more enemy variety but the the enemies they have here are cool and fun to fight and you you get to a place of sort of like uh, understanding, like speaking the game's language of how to tackle each situation and each enemy type. Um, and they even give you like a little bit of quiet time. Like there are some kind of like city hubs that you can kind of explore a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think the game is really well paced for what it is, but like, I would have liked more of it. Sure. But, um, but yeah, for what it is, I think they did a good job. Um, but, but man, like it's just, it's stuck with me, dude. Like it's, it's one of those games that like uh, when I've been thinking about sort of my favorite games of the year thus far, Lunark has just kept coming to my mind. Um, not necessarily, it, not necessarily because it's reinventing the wheel, but because it's bringing back, you know, something that I didn't know I was missing and it does it really well. Um, a, so yeah, it's a very good wheel. It's a very, I, good I love wheel. that wheel. <laughs> yeah. And I'm always just a fan of, of, very purposefully detail-centric design. Like one of the small visual cues, one of the small visual details in this is, you know, you talked about the character portraits. Most of the character portraits in the game are also rotoscoped from actual photographs. But mm -hmm. the main character's uh, character portrait is not. Mm -hmm. So just that little bit of otherness created from from the character's portrait versus more normal human looking character portraits just that extra little otherness cue from that i think is a really really nice detail and one of the indicative reasons that we love the animation specifically in this game and the game itself but here for our for our for our salute to animation this was absolutely the game we wanted to shout out in the indie showcase and if you've played it let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Join our amazing Discord community. If you've checked out Lunark, let us know. Uh, if you have other awesome animated indie games that you'd like to shout out, come and shout those out in our indie chat. Yes, please. Also, real real quick, before just real quick note before we move on. Um, th there's like an alien race in this game that communicates and heals by hugging. And there's an NPC that's just named hug, <laughs> yeah. um, that you interact with. And that is also very good. So just quick shout outs to that. <laughs> <laughs> that, and you can pet the dog. You can pet the dog. Yes. And the yes. cat actually. It's, it's, yeah, it's really good stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so shout outs to Lunark. Please go play it. Let us know if you did, but Eric, uh, we're not done talking about animation yet. Far from it. Uh, in fact, we wanted to kind of pivot to talking about Disney specifically, um, because there's a new Disney movie in theaters too. Yeah. You wouldn't really know it based on how many people have gone to see it, but going along with this idea of being underappreciated, like we feel Lunark is, um, you know, there's so as a matter of fact, like there's three Disney movies in theaters right now, maybe even more than that. You got Guardians of the Galaxy, you got Little Mermaid, but you just had Elemental release from Pixar. And of course, you've got that new DreamWorks movie that also has to deal with water. But, you know, the, they don't really seem to be doing too well. It seemed to be going under the radar for a lot of people. And I can't necessarily vouch for their quality, but 
Disney certainly isn't any uh, stranger to having underappreciated pieces of media, despite being the mogul, despite being the biggest name in animation on the planet. Disney has certainly jumped into the video games arena quite a few times over the previous four decades. And unfortunately, not everything is going to sell 10 million copies. There have been some incredibly high-profile Disney games, like Kingdom Hearts. Has anyone heard of it? But for every Kingdom Hearts, for every Aladdin, there is something that goes a little bit, uh, let's just say, less well-known. And that's what we aim to remedy this week in the top five. This week we are counting down the top five underappreciated Disney games. All right, Eric, the top five most underrated Disney games in Nintendo history. What are the rules? Well, for this, we are shouting out games based on Disney properties. Now, if Split Second had come out on a, uh, a Nintendo platform, we may have tweaked the rules just a little bit. <laughs> right. Split Second is amazing. And, and for those who don't know, yeah, and, and vastly underrated. Uh, but yeah, for those who don't know, that was a Disney game. Uh, but no, we are shouting out Disney IP games, licensed Disney IP games that have appeared on Nintendo platforms that we feel have gone criminally underappreciated. We are not saying these are better necessarily than many of the established uh, games, but based on their quality to appreciation ratio, we feel that they should be much bigger. And starting off with our number five, we're actually starting on the Nintendo Switch with a game that came out pretty early on in the Switch's lifespan. We're starting out with Cars 3, Driven to Win. I mean, I guess you could also put Cars 2 on the Nintendo Wii here, but I have a I have a very big soft spot for Cars 3, Driven to Win on the Nintendo Switch. Legitimately a very good racing game. Legitimately a very good racing game. Have you played it at all, Seth? No, no. All of my experience with this just comes from you. Like you've been you've been singing <laughs> its praises for a while. So, but but I know you you really like this one. I do. It's it's it is very, very different feeling from Mario Kart, which most people would immediately try to compare it to. And because of just how different it is, I think it more than stands on its own. Yeah, it was about to say its own two feet, its own four wheels, frankly, because you have all of the classic Cars characters here. You have Lightning McQueen, you have Mater, and, uh, you know, all the, you know, especially the characters from the third movie, which was what the game was based off of. But uh, the 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 races, when you when you play them, there's not necessarily as much of a focus on items as there is in something like Mario Kart. While there are battle races in the game, the core races that make up the experience are more about getting, you know, your boost up. And you do this in a number of different ways. Uh, there are boost pads that you can use if you're doing tricks on them. That's another big thing you can do. You can actually drive backwards to increase your boost meter. You can drive on two wheels to increase your boost meter because the cars themselves are characters and they have full control over each of their appendages. You can actually jump. You don't need to drive off a ramp to jump. You can actually just jump on a straightaway because these are characters. They control very differently from 
basically any other kart racer you have out there. Cars 3 is kind of like the perfect middle ground between something like a more traditional racing sim like Forza and a game like Mario Kart. It fits right in the middle of that Venn diagram. Nice. And again, it's just, it's genuinely very good. You have your, your core races. You have, I think like 16 different circuits to race through. You've got a couple of lockable characters. You've got the battle races. You actually have stunt races uh, because in the air, you can actually do stunts and tricks and stuff like that. So there's races based off of that. Uh, there's actually even like a full on, uh, <laughs> like almost like a Tony Hawk mode. There's this, uh, uh, big playground just filled with half pipes and straightaways and everything for you to just go in and play. And there's a bunch of different challenges that you can do in there. There's, there's actually a lot here. And one of the things I like most about the game is the fact that the races themselves, I love Mario Kart, but the races are always like a minute and a half long. They go by so quickly and there's just enough meat on the races in cars three that you really feel like it was a race and not necessarily just a sprint, you know, there's just, there's a lot here. I, it's a really, really underrated racing game. A lot more people should have played it. The one thing that really keeps it down for a lot of people is the fact that there's no online. It does have local for up to four players, but there's no online player. And I do get that. But I mean, at this point, you wouldn't be able to find anybody online, even if you tried to boot it up online. So just enjoy the single player content and the local multiplayer content while you're there. All the, the characters, all the different cars, they animate really well. They've got all their, you know, little sly personality quirks, uh, fully animated eyes, mouth, fully animated characteristics. You even see when you you know, when you race by on a beach, you even see the the water from the from the ocean kind of get glisten on the the windshield and on their bumpers. So, play cars three driven to win if you like racing games, folks. Yeah, nice. I have to. I mean, I'm sure that's kind of thing too. It probably goes on sale, you know, relatively frequently. I'm sure. Know. Yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, there's there's a lot there to really like, and if you want some challenge, there's actually. Quite a, bit, uh, quite a bit of challenge there if you want to ramp up the difficulty. So <laughs> it's not just a baby game for babies. If you want a, ra- a challenging racing game, that's there for you too. Nice, nice. Well, going into our number four, you know, there's been a lot made of these sort of, you know, classic Disney, you know, sort of licensed games done like those, those Virgin Interactive games, the, the Lion yeah. King and Aladdin and stuff like that. Of course. Those classics, are not right? classics. They're not underrated games. However, there is a sort of like third pillar to that that we do feel like is somewhat underrated. And that's the Jungle Book, which... Yeah. Nobody's talking about, and in fact, when the <laughs> Disney Classics Game Collection with Aladdin and the Lion King initially came out, um, it did not even have the Jungle Book in it. They ended up basically working that in to the Disney Classics Game Collection. <laughs> yeah. Even when, it, even within its own kind of sphere, the Virgin Interactive Disney game sphere, it's treated as the redheaded stepchild, essentially. Totally. Now, to their credit, they did eventually throw those Jungle Book games back into the collection and even did release a physical version uh, <laughs> that actually I think still include, I think included a code for the Jungle Book add-on and didn't actually include it on cart. See, but I digress. 
But I digress. <laughs> I digress. The Jungle Book games, honestly, I like they play just as well as The Lion King and as Aladdin. If you like either of those, if you consider either of those a classic, then you really should check out the Jungle Book games. It kind of blows my mind that the third pillar of this tripod is never really mentioned in the same breath. Everybody wants to bring up Aladdin. Everybody wants to bring up Lion King, but nobody ever brings up the jungle. But I genuinely wonder why that is. I really do. I wonder if it has something to do with, I, I the only reason that I can really think is Lion King and Aladdin they were able to come out in fairly close proximity to their movies, whereas The Jungle Book had already kind of been out for a couple of years. I think the hype had already died down. But when you strike when the iron's hot with a video game, I guess that's why those games stick out more in people's minds is because they were able to associate the game directly with the movie because, you know, a relatively short time differential, whereas... You know, several Disney movies had come out in the intervening years between the Jungle Book movie and when the game came out. So I guess there just wasn't as much excitement for a game for a years old film, unfortunately. But right. it's worth checking out. It really is. And like I said, it's now available on that Disney Classics collection, which is available on the Nintendo Switch. If you already have it, you can just get the add on uh, Jungle Book games as DLC. Right. And like, it's, I think it's a couple things. I think it's, you know, people don't have the same fondness for the Jungle Book movie that they do Aladdin and the Lion King. That's um, fair. That's which, fair. I do think Jungle Book itself is also kind of an underappreciated piece of Disney media. Yeah, I, I do too. And, and like, it's also, you know, the Jungle Book game is not as good as Aladdin, but it's still really good for what it is and like deserves to be you know, at least talked about it. It at least deserves to be in that same conversation. I think that's what, that's what puts it on this list ultimately. Cause no, I mean, nobody is talking about the jungle book. Yeah. So, and we, we definitely wanted to shout it out, especially because it's currently available. You yeah. can play it right now. And we definitely recommend that you do that. Yeah. But going into our number three is a game that was certainly famous, but we honestly think when it comes to the appreciation of the game, we do still feel it's underrated, and that is Disney Infinity. Believe it or not, like y'all might think that that Toys to Life moment with like Skylanders and you know Lego Dimensions and Disney Infinity, like Disney Infinity was only on market for about two years. Believe it or not, yeah, yeah. You had Disney Infinity, Disney Infinity 2.0, which came out almost exactly a year later, and then 3.0. And unfortunately, by then, that Toys to Life market had become so ridiculously saturated that everybody just kind of bowed out. There was you, the Skylanders who had gotten to the point where there were not just dozens of characters per game, but variants and all kinds of extra accoutrement, like the uh, the racing carts and the giants and the trap team and all kinds of extra characters that was going on. And then, of course, you had the Lego Dimensions. Don't even get me started on the variations and all the different insanity going on with that. So by the time you had that plus the Amiibo all within this same space, it was just way too much for people. And a lot of people, I don't think ever really appreciated how quality and how good a lot of the Disney infinity experience was. Uh, a lot was made of the, the sandbox mode, which was actually kind of an expansion of Toy Story 3's big sandbox right. from the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. 
but just to the nth degree. There was this big open area that you could bring your favorite Disney characters in as long you as long as you purchase the figures. You could bring your favorite Disney characters in like Woody or like Sully or, you know, eventually even people like uh, the Marvel superheroes or eventually people like the Star Wars characters. And that's one of the best things about Disney Infinity is this massive cross section of all these different properties. But on top of all that, you had these worlds, these playset figures that you could also get that had their own little campaigns that you could play through. I had a ton of time with the Star Wars one. I had a ton of fun with the uh, Finding Dory one that they wound up releasing. I mean, irrespective of how well designed the figures are and the figures themselves are collectible within their own right. Yeah. Oh yeah. The figures are great. The, genuinely out of all of the, especially this, this moment that we're talking about with Amiibo, like now Amiibo are really nice, really high quality, but early Amiibo looking a little rough. You got the, the link P stick, you know, like they're not there in the beginning. Right. Yeah. So these, these though, like Disney infinity figures right out the gate were all like awesome. Like, just right away. That art style, that sort of clean visual aesthetic. Yeah, I really dug the the aesthetic that they went with Disney Infinity. I think that's an underrated art style. Yeah, I think it looks great. And, like, you know, and to see, like, the, the representations of these characters, like, I love. Like, I was looking at some of my old Disney Infinity figures. The Star Wars ones are awesome looking. I love, like, even characters like Venom. Like, I love the Disney Infinity Venom yeah. figures, nice and big, yeah. and, like, the poses. Like, the figures were great, man. And, like, it's it's the kind of thing that, like, it was actually, the games were well-reviewed when they came out, but for some reason, despite the fact that this is Disney and it's a high-quality Disney game, the market was, again, just so oversaturated that, I mean, ultimately, yeah, it was only around for two years. Like, that's wild to me. Well, they did Disney Infinity. If you remember, they had this weird kind of thing where you could get uh, like these these caps, these right. enhancement caps, these clear, uh, you know, augments that you right. could use for both the playsets and for the characters. And there were dozens and dozens of those. I I do wonder if maybe that just that extra layer of complication wound up making it a little bit too much because Disney infinity was absolutely marketed toward a young audience. Um, but I mean, it was like, it's fun for the whole family. Seems like a buzzword that you'd hear in a really cheesy kids commercial, but it really was, it was a great thing to play with your brothers, your sisters, your nieces, your nephews, your grandkids, uh, you know, your sons, your daughters. It was, it was just a really cool way to connect. It was an incredibly accessible way to play, uh, with you know your favorite Disney characters in an arena that really kind of lets you do what you wanted to at your own pace. It wasn't something to where you had to be jumping in to a mission. You had to be doing something. No, it's just this, a lot of the experience was this fun open world with a ton of different customization and options and a lot of user created content that you could delve into. And it really, really struck me how it didn't catch on more than it did. Of all the Toys to Life games, I really kind of expected that one to survive the the oversaturation of the Toys to Life market. But ultimately, Disney just decided to dip out. I think if they had held with it, I 
they're they're probably I'd probably be broke is probably what would happen. <laughs> well, and it's also like, you know, as a Nintendo fan, that's the kind of game that I kind of wanted to happen with Amiibo. Like that's yeah. the kind of like the thing about Amiibo, like Amiibo are great, but they really are just glorified collectibles. Like I wanted yeah. some kind of game that actually incorporated all these characters playable in a sort of congruent, you know, experience. And Disney Infinity was that, you know. So shout out to Disney Nint- Infinity, man. Nintendo's like, we gave you that. It's called Amiibo Festival. And we're just like, not well, like that, Nintendo. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not like that, Nintendo. Not like that. Well, Disney Infinity is really cool people. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, going into our number two, uh, this is one, this is maybe a little bit of a deep cut. I'm wondering how many of, uh, of our listeners are familiar with our number two, the Super Nintendo cult classic Maui Mallard in Cold Shadow. <laughs> Dude, I love Maui Mallard. Oh, that was such a cool, that was the coolest looking game when it came out. I honestly thought it was a, like a Darkwing Duck spinoff or something. This was around that era in the early nineties, that Virgin interactive era with Disney, where they were just releasing a whole bunch of really good action platformers. Uh, But this one wasn't based on any established IP that I'm aware of. Uh, I wasn't aware of, of Maui Mallard in, in anything like Darkwing Duck or any of their action cartoons that were around that time. Yeah. But, uh, I, man, I, I don't, anything like DuckTales, I don't know. But but it was still like so cool. You had this blind, staff-wielding, mallard ninja. Like a genuinely badass Disney character. I love Darkwing Duck, but he was always kind of like ironically badass. But Maui Mallard was just great. And it was so cool. And it stinks that more people didn't play it. Yeah, well, the the whole it's it's positioned as like this is an alter ego for Donald Duck himself, um, like like Donald Duck transforms into Maui Mallard, who is not only a like detective, but yeah, like a ninja with a bow staff, and like is genuinely really cool. The way I discovered this game, uh, was actually via Games Done Quick. This was at GDQ, the speedrunning marathon. For anybody who doesn't know. Uh, this was being ran at GDQ several years ago and I'd never heard of it before. And I was like, what is this? I was in Chicago with my cousin and we were watching GDQ that year. This is probably in 2013 or 14 or something. And I was like, what is this dude? And we immediately mm-hmm. like tracked down a copy and, uh, and played it together. The game's hard, but like, yeah, it's really cool, man. Like it's, it's a really neat game. And like, yeah, speaking of animation, some of the best animation on super nintendo genuinely that's fair that's fair actually but i guess i guess it's just because there wasn't a maui mallard cartoon on tv at the time it just didn't generate as much interest as something like a Darkwing duck or a goof troop or a rescue rangers would have but it was so so cool it was i don't think it was for lack of advertising because i want to say because back in the early 90s, man, there were a thousand different video game magazines. You had your Game Pros, you had your Electronic Gaming Monthly, you had all kinds of different, had your Nintendo Powers, of course. And I want to say that I saw advertisements pretty frequently for Maui Mallard. That's why I that's why I was so aware of it at the time, is I felt like I was seeing it everywhere for a year at least in media, I don't ever remember seeing anybody play it outside of myself. 
but and which is a shame too it really really is because you know we've already talked about the aladdins we've already talked about we've even talked about the jungle books of the disney world you know you've got the castle of illusion games you've got you know the donald duck going quack and all this stuff but like nobody remembers maui mallard at all which stinks yeah, it's a cool game, man. Y'all should check it out. Um, but Eric, before we reveal our number one, do we have some honorable mentions? <laughs> we do have a couple. We do have a couple. Like we already shouted out, Split Second would have absolutely been more. But we've already mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> we've already shouted out Cars. Mm-hmm. But we did kind of consider a different Disney uh, racing game for this list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of, you know, when, when you're talking about Disney racing games, I think a lot of people's head probably goes to Mickey Speedway USA on the N64. <laughs> right. I mean, yep. <laughs> like that was the era of, of rare in Nintendo, you know, kind of working together and, you know, is it Diddy Kong racing? Is it Mario Kart 64? Absolutely not. Right. But it's a neat little game for what it is. <laughs> I liked it when I was a kid. Enjoyed it. And honestly, honestly, I think the jury's still out on Disney Speedstorm right now. Right. It's it's still technically a thing. We didn't really want to call it underappreciated yet. There might still be some life to it. Uh, so I don't know. But yeah, when it comes to Disney racing games, you know, yeah, sure. Check out Mickey Speedway USA, but also check out Cars 2 and 3. Specifically yeah. 3 because it's on the Nintendo Switch. But in addition to that, Seth, are you the guilty party? <laughs> I Disney Guilty Party is a cool game and I actually before we uh were doing research for for this top 5 I had completely forgotten about it. This game was beat into my head uh <laughs> when I worked at GameStop because I remember they bought like ad space on GameStop TV or whatever and um it's a neat little like kind of murder mystery party game that was made by Disney for the Nintendo Wii. And uh, it's a really kind of cool idea. Like, it's a turn-based party game, but you're exploring, like, these different locations, like a train and stuff like this, trying to, trying to you know, you know you're kind of interrogating suspects, finding evidence. And it's sort of like Disney's version of, like, Clue or something with little fun mini-games. And it's a neat little game, man. I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, but in addition to that, there was one other one that we wanted to shout out, and that was Disney Extreme Skate Adventure. Yeah, I I just have a fondness for this game. <laughs> it's not good. Like, it's not a good game, but I just have a fondness for it. Like, it is, for those who have never played this on the GameCube, this is a, this is Disney's Tony Hawk ripoff. And, like... It's it's really dumb and stupid, but, like, I just have such a fondness for it, dude. Like, you can be, like, Simba riding around on, like, a rock skateboard on, like, Zerg's moon base from, like, Buzz Lightyear or whatever. And it's it's just kind of it's just kind of dumb and fun. And I, I really liked it. You had Tarzan stuff in there, Timon and Pumbaa, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff in there. I, I don't know. I... I just I had to shout it out. It's not top five, but it but it needed to be shouted out. <laughs> Fair enough. But going into our number one, yes, you could argue our number one is a cult 
classic and that, you know, in and of itself gets it enough notoriety to keep it from being underappreciated. But honestly, still for us, when it comes to underappreciated Disney games, both Seth and I, our thought immediately goes to Epic Mickey. Disney's Epic Mickey for the Nintendo Wii, the uh, very underrated, really cool game that said, hey, how about we take the creator of Deus Ex, Ultima Underworld, System Shock, Thief, let's let him make a Mickey Mouse game. A pretty Uh, dark one at that, too. (laughs) Let's do that. That sounds cool. And like he, like Warren Spector, apparently had a lot of like love and passion for Disney animation and clearly like clearly because that's what this entire game is, is sort of about. Um, and it's this interesting kind of like, yeah, you're going through these like dark kind of like messed up worlds, but it's almost like a little like RPG ish. You got side quests and you've got like kind of a, almost like a, like a good and bad, like a kind of morality system to it a little bit. You've got, uh, you can, you know, paint the world with your paintbrush. You can use paint thinner to remove stuff. And, uh, I don't know, man, like any game that involves Oswald, the lucky rabbit. Exactly. Yeah. You know, is kind of cool. Oswald was kind of the big draw for this game, really going back. Like you, you, you want to talk about a deep cut for a lot of people really yanking back to Mickey's early, early days, the steamboat Willie days of Disney and Mickey mouse animation. And, you know, honestly, it gives me these, these weird, like Felix, the cat vibes for anybody who knows anything about that. Like these weird, uh, Oh man, what was, uh, 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 I'm thinking of something. I can't remember the name of it. It's going to kill me, but like these weird, uh, like panel based comics, these weird dark panel based comics from, yeah. uh, from the, like the thirties and forties akin to, you know, stuff like Felix, but uh bone bone. That was the one I was thinking. Oh, sure. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Bone's great. Uh, but yeah, this perfectly evoked that. And the the ink mechanic I thought was really cool, especially if you got, I would, dude, I was a sucker for that ink, the the paintbrush controller that you oh, could get yeah. with the Wii. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a cool game, dude. Like, and, and what I really like about this one, um, if you're somebody who like appreciates like Disney history, like this is not just, you know, hey, let's talk about the latest Pixar movie or the, like, it's not about like the sort of like more mainstream Disney stuff. It's like, yo, let's go to like, you know, all of this kind of like obscure, it's not just Steamboat Willie. It's also going back to like the gremlins and the airplane and stuff. And like, you know, let's, let's talk, let's get Horace horse collar in here and let's get Clarabelle cow in here, you know? And it's just got all these like deep cut sort of like Disney like locations and characters from early Disney animation, um, including like stuff from old like Disneyland, you know, like all that classic kind of stuff. It's a small world and Tomorrowland and that kind of stuff is in here, you know, um, it, it's it's a really, really neat game. It did end up getting a sequel, uh, Epic yeah. Mickey 2, The Power of Two. The Power of Two, yeah. Um, which was also neat and cool and um and also kind of underrated. Not as good as the first one, but um, but yeah, they they unfortunately didn't get to make a final, you know, entry in the trilogy. War Inspector did envision uh Epic Mickey as a trilogy, 
But uh, but yeah, it's it's still that that first Epic Mickey game is really cool. It'd be great to see it sort of remastered, dude. And the concept art, dude, I would hang that concept art on my wall. It's that was beautiful, gorgeous concept art. Yeah. My lord. A lot of the times the concept art is just thrown in there as an extra kind of fun little collectible to round out the whole video game package. But like in Epic Mickey, that concept feels like Disney quality artwork. It's gorgeous. It is stunning stuff. I would genuinely like to get some of it framed. Yeah, I know. It's it is a really, really cool game and and certainly one that, uh you know. People shouldn't forget. Uh, but Eric, before we wrap up here, let's go down our list one more time, my friend. Sounds good, brother. Our number five, Cars 3, Driven to Win on the Nintendo Switch. Our number four, The Jungle Book. Our number three, Disney to Infinity and Beyond. <laughs> our number two, Maui Mallard in Cold Shadow. And of course, number one, Epic Mickey on yes. the Nintendo Wii. Yes, or if you uh, if you like me, this is also a throwback to GameStop. There was a commercial where uh, somebody was talking about the game in an interview, and they called it Disney's Epic Disney. Um, <laughs> and so I had to hear that, you know, over and over again, just now for a trailer for Disney's Epic Disney. And they never fixed it, never, re- you know, reshot it, ship it, cool, it's totally fine. So yeah, that's, that's another Epic Mickey memory I've got. Yeah. <laughs> But if you were wondering where your favorite Disney game was on this list, chances are we thought it was properly rated. I mean, stuff like uh, Toy Story 2 on the Nintendo 64 is kind of pretty famously a good game. Likewise, stuff like Kingdom Hearts and stuff like that. So if you thought that we left your favorite game off, feel free to tell us how bad and dumb we are in the Discord. Make sure to join our amazing Discord. We would genuinely love to talk to you more about Uh, your favorite Disney games. There are certainly a ton of them. You've got the Illusion series. You've got, I mean, Donald Duck alone has a couple dozen titles under his belt. The Disney Afternoon Collection, which needs to come to the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, it does. Capcom? Yeah, it does. Capcom? Please bring the Disney Afternoon Collection to the Nintendo Switch in physical form, too. I will give you the money. But, before I digress even further, but, whoo, I'm actually more mad about that than I thought I was. But we're not actually done talking about Disney because in this salute to animation episode this week, turns out we have a very important anniversary coming up because we've talked about some underappreciated Disney games, but there are a couple out there that are certainly regarded as being among the Elite, some full, some all-time classics that were even good enough to get a remaster. And a certain remaster is going to be turning 10 in just a few weeks. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things, man, where we looked at, you know, again, kind of looking at, at animation history and, and certainly the way that these games uh, relate to Nintendo history. There is one Disney game, when it comes to Nintendo history, that kind of stands above the rest and is more than deserving of an all-in retrospective this week we're talking about ducktales woo
right, Eric. The tail of the tape for DuckTales, not uh, ponytails or cottontails, uh, but DuckTales. I really uh, like that. <laughs> I really like that. Uh, was, of course, released for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Actually came out in North America first, October 1989, uh, according to, to Wikipedia here, with no exact date weirdly just october 1989 but it also ducktales remastered by way forward another little bit of connective tissue way forward of course published lunark that we talked about earlier in the show way forward developed ducktales remastered which released august 13th 2013 it's all connected um, Seth. it's all it's all connected man and i think for uh, for many people, you know, this has a significant place in Nintendo history. Certainly one of the best games on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Also yeah. marked Capcom's kind of relationship with Disney. Um, they published the the uh, the Hudson-produced Mickey Mouse Capade, but DuckTales was the first Disney-licensed game that Capcom developed. So this is a big one. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we just made mention of the Disney Afternoon Collection. Capcom would go uh, would go on to work with Disney on several other projects. Oh, yes. Uh, but Capcom, I mean, you guys don't need us to tell you Capcom very much made a very big name for their very big selves on the NES with a little platforming franchise you might have heard of called Mega Man, which, you know, immediately caught... Fire, they released six Mega Man games just on the NES alone. And just using that expertise in the action platformer genre, they were able to parlay that into a partnership with Disney. And just, I mean, just the existence of this game is really, really interesting because video games are just now, honestly, just now really coming into their own as a medium. We were just figuring out what a good game even looked like, really. People have been releasing games. People had been releasing software. But the idea of what made a good game and what made a bad game was still a very fluid, you know, uh, idea at the time. But with this massive Disney renaissance going on, and with the resurgence of video games as a medium following the crash, you know, thanks Spielberg and E.T. Uh, but with Disney experiencing this fantastic renaissance in the late 80s and early 90s and the NES just catching fire, it was a it was the perfect time to uh, to start crossing over. And of course, in the late 80s and early 90s, you want to talk Disney, that conversation started and ended with DuckTales. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's sort of like that That show, you know, was definitely like the, the nexus point for so many other things. Yeah. You know, I mean, Dis Disney Afternoon, those cartoons were so important to kids in the late 80s, early 90s. And yeah, DuckTales definitely was at the heart of all of that. I mean, it remains to this day one of the best shows that Disney has ever done, which is saying something. Uh, I I even thought that the, the reboot that they did with David Tennant uh, a few years back, even that was really well was done. Good. That was a lot yeah. better than I thought it was going to be. But one of the really interesting things about DuckTales, and it told you exactly what it was in its theme song, is... Uh, 
<laughs> race cars, lasers, aeroplanes. You might solve a mystery. You might rewrite history. It never really <laughs> torpedoed itself. It was never really one genre. They did so many different things. This week might be a horror episode. They might be chased by a mummy. The next one might be a space adventure. The next one might have some political, like just a shade of political intrigue to it. It was everything. It was a different show every week, but it was always fun. It was always funny. It was always entertaining. And it was just the perfect Blend. It was really kind of the perfect storm of animation and creativity at the time. So what two better things to come together than this amazing property that Disney had on their hands and this incredible world of video games that was starting to turn heads by the millions. And Capcom, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to video game companies around that time, Rare, I think, would have been a very interesting choice. But Mega Man and the success of that franchise, I think, kind of made Disney's decision for them when it came to who they wanted to partner with. When it came to an established name that wasn't Nintendo, that Disney didn't have to give up most of their rights to Nintendo when it came to their own IPs, because as much as we do like Nintendo, Nintendo very famously around this time was a shrewd, shrewd business when it came to a lot of the contractual obligations and contractual uh, requirements of their developers. And Disney, I'm sure, didn't want to do anything with that. So I'm sure Capcom looked like a welcoming angel. Yeah, well, and it makes sense too, especially when you look at you know, the, the development team behind this game, it's a yep. lot of the usual suspects of Mega Man. Yep. It is a lot of the, you know, the Mega Man team, the series producer, um, you know, Keiji Anafune yep. is, you know, did the character design work, you know, of the game and a lot of the art of the game, you know, uh, same like composer and sound programmer, even, you know, it's, it's a lot of that Mega Man team that, uh, that came together to, to work on this one. And it's interesting too, to look at this game, especially that original NES game from the perspective of like a team that had this Mega Man experience under its belt, making this thing around a Disney property, they kind of crushed it. Like in terms of representing that world and like the variety and like the art and the music, like they made DuckTales a very, like very much its own thing on the NES. And even today, that's really impressive. Yeah. Granted, you only had eight bits of memory to work with, but the truly great creators, the truly great directors and developers out there, they were able to take their shortcomings. They were able to take the limitations that were given to them and they were able to work around them in very creative ways. And, you know, just honestly, you guys know at this point about DuckTales and the legacy and the visuals and the music and, and everything like that. But when it came to how pioneering it was in a couple different respects, there are a couple things I don't think this game gets enough credit for. One, the fact that among the five stages, 
you know, just like in the Mega Man franchise, you could choose whatever stage you wanted to go to. Right. It wasn't just straight up linear. And I'm not saying that that's pioneering because, of course, Mega Man did it beforehand. But as a licensed game, giving you any kind of freedom like that, uh, you know, it was it was really cool. And in addition to that, the difficulty, it wasn't actually too bad based, you know, compared to a lot of other NES games. DuckTales was actually pretty approachable. It was a game that was like, oh, man, I could actually beat a stage of this. I don't have to beat my head against a concrete wall for hours on end just to get any kind of headway. This was a game that people could actually play through and conceivably even beat. And that meant a lot back in the NES days because a lot of the games, a lot of the revenue was based around rentals and renting the games. And because of that, a lot of levels a lot of early levels specifically were made increasingly more difficult so that people would have to rent the games over and over and over again there was no first level in this game they were all the same level but this was when you started to kind of see you know not necessarily appealing back but just ever so slightly letting the reins go on what was termed NES hard at the time, all of a sudden people were realizing, oh, you don't need to make a game this incredibly punishingly difficult experience for it to be enjoyable. Something could actually just be fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That that does sort of mark like a little bit of the a changing of ideologies, even with that development team. And I wonder if that was just like a purposeful like, yo, this is like for kids. This is like a kid's, you know, show. Should we try to make this something that is a bit more approachable for people? Um, so that that is cool. That That's cool and, and pioneering. And I also think it's, uh, it's really a masterclass in like taking a good, like satisfying little piece of gameplay of like game design. Like the Pogo is... Yeah. So it's still really fun. It's it's like, it's iconic, man. Yeah. I mean, here you have decades later, you have a lot of the characters that uh, we consider icons of current day gaming. (coughs) Shovel Knight. (coughs) Yeah. Who take direct inspiration from stuff like DuckTales. A lot of the classic retro style platformer, you can see DuckTales in a lot of the DNA and a lot of the retro style platformers that are releasing, you know, stuff like Bat Boy, stuff like Shovel Knight, and, uh, you know, I mean, just about anything indie retro inspired coming out these days, you could probably draw a line to DuckTales in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Well, like Shovel Knight in particular, it's like that game is just a pastiche of like all of the best NES stuff. And of course, DuckTales is going to be somewhere in that formula. Um, another thing that I don't think gets talked about often enough with DuckTales that is, uh, that's actually really cool. And I've been playing a little DuckTales remastered, uh, in preparation for this on my Wii U. And it is actually kind of neat how there are elements of this game, especially to reach like kind of secret areas, uh, where there are little like elements of the world that you actually just have to smack with Scrooge's cane and create a platform in a different area. And that's not something I don't like. It's a simple little mechanic that ultimately isn't used like in an essential way for the vast majority of the game. But like 
it's still a really neat little mechanic that you don't see very often, like making your own sort of platforms in a game like this. It's cool. Yeah, it was relatively simple, but one of the things that the game did really well was in addition to being able to let you choose your own stage, there was actually an element of exploration to each of these stages. It wasn't just a sense of left to right. There was some exploration involved. There was a little bit of non-linear design going on here. Not, not too much because that could have been confusing without a map because, you know, while the remastered version does have a map, we didn't really have the, you know, the technology at the time wasn't quite that advanced enough to be able to allow a comprehensive map available at all times, unfortunately. So they had to, they couldn't make it super complicated, but they did have the wherewithal to be able to design these levels uh, expertly enough to allow for some exploration, to allow for a nonlinear play style in addition to being able to choose the stages. I'm sure back when the game came out, I'm sure it felt like practically open world. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, and they're like, you'll be rewarded with like just little stuff, like just just for exploring, just like all over the place. You'll find like either little chests because the whole point is just to get money. You just like you just want to <laughs> get money. You know, that's the whole thing. You want to get more money than Flintheart Glomgold or whatever his name is. Um, yeah, Flintheart Glomgold, you get it. Right? Yeah. But yeah, uh, Wario is just Scrooge Light. That's all he is. Wario <laughs> wishes he could. That's, Wario wishes he could treasure hunt like Scrooge. That's true, actually. Yeah, but it'll it'll be little things like you'll you'll just even like the simple act of Poe going around will sometimes yeah. just sort of uncover gems or cakes or maybe you'll go off in this little area of the map and you'll bump into what's what's her name that like the cook late is her name like Agnes something. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Beakley, Mrs. Beakley. Oh, is it just Mrs. Beakley? Yeah. She, she, you would find her in some of the stages and she would just throw like cupcakes at you or whatever. Yeah. And like, you know, I just stuff like that, man. I love that stuff. And even like integrating a little bit, there's, there's a, a moment in some of the stages where like, there's usually some sort of objective, not like beyond even just like, oh, I need to find like whatever the relic of this stage is, which is always the goal. And there's always like a boss that you have to fight and whatever. But usually there's some kind of like something that you have to do to get there. Uh, for example, like in the moon stage, you have to like find an upgrade for Gizmo Duck that'll allow him to like blow up a wall <laughs> between you and the boss, you know, and there's stuff like that. There's there is a lot of exploration in this one. Dude, that's how iconic DuckTales is. I still to this day remember blathering blatherskites. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm sure in that world that's a very bad word, but uh <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the 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 keyword that uh, that guy used to turn into Gizmo Duck, the RoboCop of the DuckTales world. But yeah, I mean, honestly, the the gameplay from the original DuckTales isn't too too nuanced. It isn't too in depth. It isn't too complicated. You basically just pogo around on Scrooge's cane. You whack things with his cane. You platform around trying to find as much money as you can and then you eventually get a piece of cheese piece of green cheese that you have to fight a giant rat for you know typical <laughs> video game stuff like you do like you do like you do 
Yeah, but but there's uh, like the the you know the variety that you got in the show, which you you tapped into earlier, is also present in the game. Like the game only has a small handful of stages. It's got I think five stages. Um, yeah. The, uh, oh, give me. I, I bet you I can remember them. I bet you I can remember them. Uh, uh, the moon, obviously. Of course. Transylvania was one of them. Of course. Uh, The, oh yeah, the, 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 the Yeti. So the Himalayas. Yep. uh, The, uh, there was a, was it, I know it was a rainforest. Was it the actual Amazon? Amazon. Yeah, it was 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 the Amazon. Amazon. Yep. And it was a, it was a mine. It was a uh, African mines. Oh, I don't know. It might be. Af- I don't know if it was. It was mines. Yeah, it was like gold it was mines. The mine stage. Yeah. yeah, the one yeah. with the with the king slime in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. King slime. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I remember but, that. Uh, <laughs> again, yeah, that's just how iconic the game is. It's just it sticks with you like that. But yeah, after the end of each stage, you fight yourself a little boss. You get yourself a little relic, and then at the end of the game, you actually get to fight. You get to square off against Flintheart Glumgold. And Magica Dispel, mm-hmm. the true nemesis of Scrooge McDuck. Honestly, though, I mean, I love Scrooge, but like how much worse is are Magica and Flintheart compared to Scrooge? I mean, like, <laughs> like he loves his nephews, but let's be honest about Scrooge. That's kind of his only redeeming. Yeah, when when Scrooge is the hero of the story, <laughs> you know, like that's that some things are probably in a bit of a bad way, right? Well, Scrooge was always, you know, he was always a weird character because yes, he was this miserly CEO, but Scrooge in the comics, like pre Ducktales, was always positioned as, uh, a, you know, aside from clearly being based on Charles Dickens' classic character. Uh, he was always kind of positioned as this Alan Quartermain type of grand adventurer. And there's a ton of, for a lot of people that don't know this, there's a ton of decades old, you know, comics that have Scrooge going on all these massive grand adventures. He was kind of, you know, Indiana Jones before Indiana Jones was a thing. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, it does kind of make sense within his own context, him going on all these weird adventures and very foolishly and irresponsibly taking his young nephews with him. Although, you know, the whole point of the nephews is that they were cunning and they showed up regardless. But, uh, but, um, but that was like, somehow they were able to capture the fun of DuckTales and, like it just it came through in the game and i think that you know when we talk about the difficulty of the game i think that was that was the real point is they they did everything they could to match the level of fun in the show with the game the show wasn't hard so the game shouldn't have been hard show was enjoyable with a bunch of variety game should be enjoyable with a bunch of variety. And I think that was the philosophy that wound up causing DuckTales to succeed and apparently becoming the best-selling game for Capcom on both the NES and the Game Boy. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That makes, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, just because of what you've just said, even like, I remember even, even as a, as a kid, like people would talk about how hard things like Mega Man were, you know? Oh, yeah. So it makes sense that something that is more success, uh, accessible like that, you know, especially for a hit TV show. I mean, that makes perfect sense. 
Yeah. Now, weirdly, a lot of people don't know there was a DuckTales 2. There was. On the NES. Yeah. It actually got a sequel. And it's it, like everybody talks about DuckTales and how amazing of a game it is. And it is. But virtually nobody talks about the fact that it got a sequel. Virtually nobody talks about DuckTales 2. And it's not a terrible game. It followed up on a lot of what the first game did. Uh, it didn't really build on it necessarily too much. But it is still weird that you don't talk about the DuckTales games on the NES. Everybody just talks about DuckTales. And either you just assume that they're only talking about the first game or you're not even aware of the second game. I just... That that whole almost revisionist history is bizarre to me. It's almost as if people don't want... Like, they want to believe of DuckTales on the NES as being this singular nexus point of success. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, and a lot of those same people... Uh, came back for for the the sequel as well so it's not you know it's not a bad thing but but yeah a lot of people and, and people are weird about that just in general they do the same thing for a lot of other franchises too so not a I huge if shock. i'm being if i'm being fair the game released ducktales 2 released on the nes in 1993 at that point the Late. super nintendo was yeah. well and truly a thing so i don't know kirby's adventure also released in 93 though so i mean yeah Still, yeah, I'm just trying to be fair to DuckTales too. Well, it's 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 true though, but I mean, here we are too. If you're talking about DuckTales two, that released in June 1993, so we're, mm-hmm. we've just passed you know 30 years of that. Um, and then of course you know we're coming up. Yeah, on the, yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. So and and now here we are coming up on 10 years of DuckTales remastered, um, which is for my money one of the very best remake re-releases remastered or whatever um ever made by way forward and i think it's for one big reason not just because of course they've redone all the sprites or all this gorgeous like hand-drawn animation but it's the voice acting the voice actors absolutely one thousand percent all these years later being able to get the original voice actors for like all the surviving voice actors at that time, of which Scrooge's voice actor was still alive at that time, they were able to get him as well as everybody else. I think except, I think Mrs. Beakley, I think her voice actor had passed, Maybe. unfortunately. Yeah. But the vast majority of the people who voiced the characters in the 18, or 18, in the 1980s and 90s TV show came back and way forward took kind of their signature cartoony style and darn near perfectly adapted the look of that cartoon show. So you have a much more faithful looking adaptation in addition to those classic voices that just immediately trigger uh, core memories in our brain when we hear them. Oh yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I mean like I want to say it was the final performance of Alan Young's life. I believe it was i don't want to like don't quote me on that but i think it might have been yeah i mean like he he passed away uh in 2016 at the age of 96 um and and i mean like yeah he was like like that voice that he did is is iconic man um so you know he okay so it looks like he did voice scrooge in the mickey mouse uh animated series but i don't know if that was using like uh like archival footage or whatever, 
But but Ducktales Remaster certainly his uh, his final video game appearance as Scrooge McDuck, um, and yeah, man, like it's it's so cool to hear his voice, you know, still come through playing that game, and uh, of course like Jake Kaufman who is now at Yacht Club um, and is you know one of the great modern composers. Um, coming in at way forward at the time doing this new like rearranged music for DuckTales remastered it's so good like it's so well done just like everything about DuckTales remastered is handled with such care it is just so perfectly like it, it, i i look at that game and i'm like man like say what you will if if you don't like the base that is there i guess then fine but like what they have done to it, the way that they have like prettied up the game that was already there, it is like it's it's breathtaking still today. Like I was playing it earlier today and it still totally holds up. And, you know, because of how short the game is, uh, DuckTales is just five stages and a final boss. The remastered version often doesn't get enough credit for a lot of the stuff that it added. The first stage where you play through uh, the, the money bin. Right. And you fight all the Beagle Boys off. That like tutorial style stage, that's completely exclusive yep. to the remastered version. And I'm I I can't, you know, bullet point every single thing for you, but I know that each of the levels were were in small ways expanded in yes. terms of content and in terms of in terms of map size. So they added in the tutorial level, they added in like they expanded on the uh they expanded on the different uh, individual stages themselves. And I think because in the in, in the original game, you would beat the five stages and then you'd go to kind of like the final thing. But the like the chase sequence toward the end of the remaster, I believe that was also That's new. Yeah. Yeah. New to the remastered version as well. So in addition to a lot of the visual touch ups like this isn't just a straight up remaster they added in a fairly considerable amount of new content to the experience as well which for a game that was already a classic yes please and thank you i'll take 10 yeah well and and they they even like even just adding more context behind like why they're like even just putting like some kind of story you know to it like having like you know, like motivations behind like the, you know, the, the reason they're going to the stages and having like little character moments baked into there. That's all stuff that, that way forward kind of added into the remaster to just make the thing feel more complete. I mean, you look at the, the original game on NES, that is an NES game. Like there's only so much they're able to do. So they really just took great pains to make this truly feel like you were playing the show even more than the original did and yeah that that tutorial you're talking about has a boss fight that is exclusive to the tutorial um you've got yeah like the the final boss is way better in remastered um in fact every boss also has new patterns in the game because again i love the original game it's a classic but the boss fights are pretty simplistic if i'm being honest in the original one so the bosses are all improved too. Like, I don't know, man. They they just did WayForward did a beautiful job with DuckTales Remaster. They really did. And I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, I really think that they added in, they didn't have a manual, but it was something more than like was it a stickers or was it like a pin or something that they put in the physical version? Oh, that like I'm not sure. 
that that I'm not sure, but they uh they they had yeah they had a physical version for for Wii U. Um, they they might have put something like that in there, but they do have like in the game you can unlock um a lot of like concept art and music and of stuff course, like yeah. that, which is great. Um, and they even like I mean the fact that you can actually fill up the money bin uh, the money bin and like yeah. do the dive <laughs> yeah. into it. I mean yeah. like that just that's so cool, man. <laughs> It's so good. What a classic. I mean, um, and you could even argue, you know, if you want to talk butterfly effect, if you want to be like super conspiracy theory about it, DuckTales and the success that it was able to enjoy, I'm sure was a huge like (laughs) Metal Gear Solid, you know, exclamation mark noise above the head of a lot of people who had their own IPs that they were considering turning into video games at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's interesting. Like it's, it's, it's a really fascinating game. The the unfortunate thing is, is like the most recent, even for DuckTales remastered, the Wii U is the most recent re-release of it. This is not on the Nintendo switch, unfortunately. So that's something I would like to campaign. Like now we we have stuff like like Scott Pilgrim. Like bring this over, man. Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, it's too bad that WayForward doesn't really do anything anymore. They don't make games or or publish games or do anything. So they probably wouldn't have the capacity to bring a game like that over at all. But all, all joking aside, of course, when it comes to licensed products like this, it always comes down to the licensing agreement and a brand new release would require new licensing agreement. And that game has performances of people who have since passed. Right. So I'm sure that ultimately that was, or that may be the big hang up right now is trying to get a new licensing agreement with the estates of people, you know, so I'm, uh, you know, I I have no evidence to support that necessarily. I'm just saying, I'm just speculating because, I mean, WayForward knows it's a special game. They've remastered it. And I'd like to think that if it were just solely up to them, that they would make sure that it's available to everybody on current platforms. And I do hope that one day it does wind up getting re-released in some form. I would hate to lose that voice acting if that's what it takes. Uh, so hopefully that's not a concession that we have to make. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, I'm truly, I mean, the, the thing about it is, is like it was listed on the Wii U eShop right up until that eShop's closure. And I'm, I don't know if it's like the kind of thing where, uh, they need to like reestablish the licenses for modern platforms or something, but I don't know, whatever the case may be, I hope they figure it out because it is sort of like lost, you know, at, at the time that, that we're recording this, it does deserve to be uh sort of reintroduced to, to a modern audience. It would be a shame for this to just sort of, you know, to just sort of go away. It's a, it's a great game. It is. And if you are able to just really quickly way forward, if you are able to bring it back, could you just 
maybe just add a slight update to allow us to play the original versions of the stages songs when we're playing through and not just be resigned to the remix versions. If I could just play the original moon theme while I'm playing the moon stage on the remit, that would be awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> but I mean, that would be cool. I, I really like the, the rearranged music, but um, you know, it's at least better. Rearranged music was good, but the, that classic moon theme, we had we had to at least bring it up in the oh, of course that I mean yeah. that classic mood theme is iconic still in my mind genuinely one of the best pieces of video game music ever I'm not just saying that because it's become famous I'm just saying it's become famous for a reason no it's great it's great I mean if I'm being honest like I don't think that it's it's certainly one of my favorite melodies in a video game soundtrack mm-hmm. ever I don't think the music touches Mega Man's music um but it's still really good and i i really like jake Co- uh, jake kaufman's rearranged tracks on it but yeah i mean it'd be cool to to be able to go back to it and it's also it's way better than the game boy version i was watching game boy uh footage uh, like like footage of the game boy port of ducktales and the oh, game no. the gameplay actually looks really good and faithful but the music is not it it's just <laughs> it's just not it's so shrill and weird and yeah it's it's yeah. not good yeah, the sound chip on the Game Boy did cause for some fairly uncomfortable moments. Uh, but, I mean, uh, that's that, I think that's enough of us gushing about <laughs> DuckTales for a while. We'd love to hear what you guys think about DuckTales. Have you played the original? Have you played the remastered? Have you played the Game Boy version? Have you played the fabled DuckTales 2? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter at All In Podcast. Like we keep saying, join our amazing Discord community over in Discord, actually. Yeah. But, you know, we'd love to have you over there. Talk some Disney stuff. Talk some animation stuff. This has been our big, awesome, super huge animation blowout. We also want you to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash all in podcast for every Friday night. We break down the past week in Nintendo news. We had a couple interesting things to talk about, including this week's combat cast. So go ahead and check that video out right now on the YouTube channel. But in addition to all the content, all the shows that we make and the content we produce up, we even produce exclusive content for our iconic patrons. We do. We do at patreon.com slash all in podcast, exclusive content, shout outs on the show, discounts on our merch at bit.ly slash all in podcast or all in merch rather, uh, is all available there on Patreon. And, uh, you can get a seven day free trial to the gold banana tier and see what all the fuss is about. If you want to throw a few bones our way, we really appreciate it. And quick shout outs again to the discord, which is completely free to join. Um, and you know, there are a lot of people who are looking to, to like take refuge away from the heat death of Twitter. Uh, the all in discord. <laughs> if you, yes. if you, if you love, you know, chatting about Nintendo, uh, really it's, it's free. Our community is wonderful. And, uh, and links are, are always in the show notes to, uh, to join our, our discord community. Everybody's so welcoming. You are more than welcome to come chat Nintendo, uh, away from all the negativity and, and toxicity of, of Twitter. So, uh, we welcome you with open arms. And another thing that's completely free is dropping some words on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible. You can leave us a five-star written review that I will shout out here on the show. And you can leave us a five-star rating on Spotify. Um, and those are very, very appreciated. Again, it's free. It's easy. You can knock it out real quick right now as you're listening to this. And uh, it helps get our, our podcast in front of the people who need to hear it. 
Yes. For all of you who have done that, just want to say a huge, huge thank you uh, for our amazing patrons, for anybody who has even shared our content anywhere around this vast internet of ours. I just want to say namaste. Namaste. Another one down, man. It was a fun episode. I, I really enjoyed uh the the animation you know focus on on this week's episode between you know Lunark with rotoscoping and the way forward connection to Ducktales and talking about some underrated Disney games. It's a yeah, fun it, was, one. it was kind of weird. Weird the way the threads just kind of connected and and always and happens. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just weird the way that the, the threads connected this week, and you know, it's it's making this show. It kind of feels like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? And just like, well, this is attached to this, which connects to this, which connects to this, which does this, and now this is a thing, which means you know, we we just we see the signs of the universe, and clearly, the universe wants us to structure our show a certain way each week, and we just, I mean, we go with it, man. But uh, but that's not to say that we don't plan things out at least a little bit. There's certainly a lot that we have to look forward to next week. Uh, LRG3 next week, man. Oh, yeah. True. Yeah, that'll be something to watch. Yeah. That'll be interesting. I'm really, really excited. I've certainly given limited run games a fair percentage of my income over the past couple of years. Uh, ironically enough, I'm actually currently waiting on my copy of Lunark from them oh nice uh <laughs> i'm waiting on i'm waiting on a few things uh from lrg myself right now too so i'll be curious yeah. to see if there's anything there that uh that makes my ears perk up i know the jurassic park collection is going to be there that has to be there they've already like teased it they teased that a long long time ago that jurassic park collection has to be there we talked about underrated you know licensed games earlier on today those jurassic park games are really really cool but in addition to that oxen free comes out next week that's yep. also really cool we did an indie showcase on the first one a while back so you know it may seem like a down week for some people until pikmin 4 comes out on the 21st but always more stuff to look forward to and we have no end of joy talking about it with each and every one of you guys every week uh and speaking of we will see you guys right back here mm -hmm. next week for another brand new episode of All In, a Nintendo podcast. But until then, I have been Mystical Eric, starring Goemon. And I have been Mario and Luigi's Super Seth Saga. We will see you all next week. We love you very much. Bye! Bye! Bye.